from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe, from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron, for three for the win, yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bouguet, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He's a regular on the program and a fellow sports business classroom alum and a, a big-time Raptors fan, Stephen Lowe. Stephen, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Garrett. Now, uh, for this episode, we're going to be talking all things Toronto Raptors. Toronto currently sitting at six and five overall, and uh, at this early stage of the season, they're in eighth in the Eastern Conference standings. They uh, currently have the 17th offense and the 13th defense, according to Cleaning the Glass. Also, the 13th best net rating at positive 1.4. Their most recent game, they lost to the Brooklyn Nets on Sunday, 116 to 103. And uh, their, their next game upcoming is uh, at the Boston Celtics this Wednesday night. But, Stephen, I mean, given sort of the expectations for this team, the, the Las Vegas over-under was set at 36.5, and uh, they didn't have Pascal Siakam for the, first, uh, for the first 10 games of the year. To be sitting here at 6-5 and five and, uh, you know, in – right now in the uh, the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference, it's got to be a, a pretty good sign for, for such a young team. Exactly. I think that uh, going into the season, uh, most Raptors fans like myself had, you know, tempered expectations. Um, we didn't know how long Pascal Siakam would be out for. The, the early reports was that we'd miss at least kind of the first month of the season. So we were kind of looking at potentially a late November return and, and these He's back earlier than expected. So I think the initial expectations were Pascal was going to miss, you know, anywhere from, you know, 20 games. And the team was going to start, you know, a young, uh, unproven rookie in Scotty Barnes and also a, a second-year center who didn't get a lot of minutes last year in Precious uh, Achua. Um, you know, and then you'd have uh, Fred Van Vliet, uh, Gary Trent, and OG Ananobi, who are more proven commodities, but they, they would have to kind of take a bigger role. So... Um, it was definitely a scenario that could have uh, gone either way. And I think that uh, everyone's expectations were, uh, were, were tempered, but, uh, this is definitely, uh, I think exceeded most fans expectations from the start of the season. So, um, that and, uh, Pascal's back sooner than expected. So I think Raptors fans are, uh, should be in a pretty good place right now. Yeah, and uh, I, I thought Pascal looked looked pretty good in his debut against Brooklyn. Again, despite the, the Raptors losing that game, uh, Nurse ended up starting him essentially at the at the five. And, you know, Kem Birch was out that game, so that was part of it. But, uh, you know, with, with Scotty Barnes looking so good in the early going and OG and Pascal, it's, uh, it kind of makes a lot of sense that they would play those uh, those kind of non-traditional center lineups, especially since Nurse has gone to that in, in previous postseason play. Exactly, exactly. So I, I think the uh, what, what Nurse kind of ran into was a scenario here where initially I think the thought was that uh, when Pascal would come back that potentially we'd see Scotty Barnes move back to the bench role, but um, he's played so fantastic at the beginning of the, to start the season, to start his career. Um, that he's really earned a starting spot. And then uh, the other option to keep the more traditional lineup would be to potentially move everybody up a spot and bring Gary Trent off the bench. But he's played um, pretty well uh, in a starting role as well. So I think that Nurse has decided to go with the unconventional lineup. Um, This is probably what would end up being a similar version of their closing lineup. So I think that he's just decided to start with them and then see... Um, 
other teams can kind of match up with the speed and athleticism of this lineup. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think another thing that, uh, and, and we'll get to all, we'll get to all of these uh, young players, obviously, OG, Scotty Barnes and, and Van Fleet, the, um, the guy I want to talk about first though, and this is kind of maybe starting the, the episode on a bit of a downer, but, uh, I think part of the reason Nick Nurse went with Siakam at center to start that game, again, given that Kem Birch was out, who I think Birch has been solid for this team. But uh, Precious Achua ended up being essentially the backup five in that game against the Nets. And Achua has just, in my mind, been arguably the worst center, starting center in the NBA to begin the season. Uh, He's been pretty solid, uh, pretty solid on the defensive end, but the offense has just been an absolute struggle that, uh, that opening game, opening night game against the wizards. It was, I think in the first quarter, he missed two alley-oop dunks right off the bat. And you're like, Oh boy, if he can't convert on those types of plays, <laughs> uh, he's, uh, he's currently right now, he has a 37.8% effective field goal percentage, <laughs> His, his true shooting percentage at 40.7%. You know, they he's kind of felt lost no matter what he's doing out there. You know, he's he's tried spotting up at times, and that has, uh, has not worked. Uh, occasionally, he's tried to sort of cut into the open space, and he just seems to get in the way. There was, there was a play in that Nets game where OG Ananobi had the ball on the left-hand side. He got doubled. Achua flashed to the free-throw line. OG tried to throw a, a skip pass to an open shooter and it just bounced off a Chua's foot. Um, so it, it's just been a real struggle and also just finishing around the basket. I mean, he is a little bit undersized for a center at six foot seven, but you'd think given his, uh, his athleticism that he would be better there, but he has had a real struggle finishing over size. And also, you know, I think he's been a little bit too aggressive on the offensive end, attacking off the dribble, given his, uh, his current effectiveness. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, Nick nurse, the system in place right now gives a lot of freedom for, um, for big men to kind of grab, uh, rebound and go. Um, and, uh, precious has taken every opportunity to do that. And unfortunately, <laughs> as you can see by, by the numbers, it doesn't really result in, in great, uh, in great effectiveness. I, you know, I think it's a little bit of him, you know, looking for a bigger role than he had last year with Miami and trying to do a little bit too much early. Um, there's a lot of times when uh, a simple, you know, dribble handoff uh, play, uh, he ends up trying to fake the handoff and, and attacking instead and, you know, going one-on-one in scenarios where, you know, he should really be playing off movement. Um, early on, there's definitely some miscommunication on, on like you said, lob plays with Fred Van Vliet. Um and, uh, you know, that's caused uh, a lot of uh, easy buckets being left uh, at the rim. And, you know, he, he hasn't been a great finisher in and around the rim either, which is uh, kind of unfortunate for someone who is uh, as strong as and, and as athletic as he is. Um, so, no, he, he's definitely been kind of the one player that I would say has been a bit of a disappointment so far for the Raptors. The, the one, well, I guess one of the one players that, you know, is getting playing time. Um, that's been a disappointment. I'd say uh, Goran Dragic is, is, the, is the other, but uh, that's a story for <laughs> another time. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, like you, you kind of summed it up, right? He's, he's has been effective near the rim, um, you know, tapping too much and, and not really being able to create much for himself and his teammates. And, and I think the most disappointing part for me when I was watching is that he looks lost out there on the defensive end on getting caught on rotations as well. So um, all around uh, has been uh, a, a bad start to the season for him. Yeah, I, I would. I um, not that not you not that you were saying this, but I, I wouldn't yeah. say that he's been bad defensively. Yeah. I I think he's been you know maybe slightly above average. He still is very active. He's he's pretty mobile. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. he he does get lost at times, and he's certainly uh, not making like a huge impact by any stretch on on that end of the floor, but. But yeah, you know, you talk about the offensive end. He had a three-game stretch recently against Indiana, New York, and Washington, where he went one for nine from the field, two for nine, and one for nine in those three games. Uh, which again is is pretty hard to do as a center. But um, 
you know, he's also, again, kind of playing more like a wing at times in terms of the shots he's taking and, and the aggressiveness he's, he's uh, exhibiting off the dribble. And you mentioned it too, where, you know, nurse and the team, I think have given him the freedom to, to grab and go get the defensive rebound and push it up the floor. And, and, and normally I would say, yeah, that's a great skill set to have. And and the Raptors obviously not having the greatest half court offense in the world. They want to push the pace, but I tell you what, when it's like even just a one-on-one situation in transition, I am just like, Oh no, this is, this is not going to end well. <laughs> Uh, I think it was in that New York Knicks game where he went one for nine. Um, I think not proud stands, but mid game, I think I sent a text to a buddy of mine saying, I didn't think I'd ever say that I feel like I'm missing Aaron Bays right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was after watching Precious potentially air ball a layup, I think, on a fast break. Yeah, it's. Uh... It's been rough, and you know I think Nurse is trying his best to to not completely prioritize the short term because you know if right. he, he was he would just I think he he just would sit Precious honestly I could see Precious even you know benefiting from some more time in the G League honestly that's how right. rough his offensive game has looked but I think again Toronto is trying to walk this fine line of competing now but also developing their guys and. You know, the, I, I guess the hope would be that this experience will allow him to grow and get better as the year goes on. Exactly. So, and, and you know, it's with with how well Kem Birch has kind of played behind him, I think that you know Nurse would be tempted to to kind of s- switch some of those minutes there and you know, give uh, Precious a little less. But it definitely is does seem to be a priority for them to uh, give the young guys some run and, and a chance to, to make some mistakes out there and learn. Yeah. And, you know, he, he has even uh, succumbed to that temptation a few times where he's, he started at you in the first half and then started Birch in the second half of a few games, that second Washington game that they played in the second half, Kem Birch picked up his fourth foul pretty early on in the third quarter and Nick nurse challenged it. I think not even necessarily with that high of a of an expectation for the challenge to be successful, but just thinking, well, if 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 this even has a ten percent chance of Birch not picking up this foul and allowing him to be on the floor <laughs> instead of a chew, we should probably take the the opportunity. Exactly. There was uh there was even a I think it was that Knicks game I want to say where uh, there's a stretch in the third quarter where you started. Um, Birch and then didn't make a sub in the third quarter because <laughs> the team was uh was making a run so that's uh, uh that just goes to show like the, the the types of players that earn Nick's trust yeah and and again the stats uh the stats show that the eye test is pretty accurate as far as Achua hurting the team the Raptors are 11.2 points worse with him on the floor and that uh, 7.8 points of that uh, are on the offensive end and, uh, you know, you could say, oh, well, that's just one person's on off stats. That's not super indicative. Well, if the person that's replacing him, Kem Birch, the, the Raptors are 12.8 points better when Birch is on the floor. <laughs> um, so it seems pretty obvious. Uh, and, and the stats are backing it up. And one of the things that I thought was interesting, too, was that uh, one of the statistics that really boosts the offense when Birch is on and Achua is off is, the offensive rebounding rate, the Raptors currently are number one in the NBA in offensive rebounding percentage, mm-hmm. and they are 16% better on the offensive glass with, uh, when Birch is out there. Well, that's not, I, I haven't actually looked at that stat, but that's, uh, that's pretty amazing uh, to think about because uh, the Raptors have not, uh, you know, historically been a, the last couple of years have not been a team that attacked the offensive glass, and a lot of that had to do with the type of centers um, they were playing, whether it was an Aaron Baines last year or, or a Marcus Saul the, the two years prior to that. Um, so, yeah, this is a very different team, and, and it's clear that this has been a, a focus for them uh, to, like you said earlier, get out and transition to play a little bit more um, in the open court and not in, in half-court sets, and then also to attack the offensive glass to create uh, second-chance opportunities against scramble defense. So um, that's clearly been a focus, and I think that, you know, Birch – with his going to be physical on the on the glass has really helped uh the units where, where he's on, not not just for himself grabbing offensive rebounds, but 
kind of uh, boxing out guys and letting some of the more athletic rebounders, whether that be uh, a Scotty Barnes, an OG Ananobi, kind of have the ability to attack the glass uh, as well. Yeah, that's a that's a good transition to the Raptors. Uh, the Raptors rookie number four overall pick, Scotty Barnes. He's uh, he's really doing a good job on the offensive glass. He's in the 89th percentile, uh, grabbing 7.6 percent of the team's misses. And uh, I mean, a lot of people were really worried about Scotty Barnes's offensive game as a prospect. They they knew he was going to be a good defensive guy, a good passer, a good locker room presence, all of those sorts of things. But the the lack of a jumper and uh, you know the the lack of the I guess the the points per game stat in college I think right. concerned a lot of people. But I mean I I think he's already in, in my eyes has has played above my sort of expectations and I was really high on him I had him in a tier to his own behind that top three in the draft. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was still very concerned about the the jump shot, but I thought, hey, this guy could potentially play center, and maybe the, if the jump shot never comes around, I still think he could be, you know, really, really good and effective. But the jumper is already looking a lot better, especially you know from twenty feet and in. He's shown a lot of confidence with the pull up. Yeah, yeah, he seems like he's um, quite comfortable in the. Taking kind of like the mid-range pull-up, like you said, um, you know, even a few turnaround jump shots uh, coming out of post-ops. Um, you know, the three, I think it's a, a shot that he's, uh, you know, at, at times when he's, he hasn't shot a great percentage from three, but, you know, the ones where he's getting them in, in motion on, on a catch and shoot, he's looked okay. Like, you know, his, his form doesn't look as broken you know he's he's not really jumping on very much on the jump shot but the the, the mechanics uh from the upper half of his body look quite good um and then i would say that you know there's other times where it's clear that he's not looking to shoot um these are times when he's catching it you know off dribble handoffs or or um you know clearly looking to to make a pass or make a play and not shoot and i think um, as he gets more comfortable and more aggressive, that it'll, it'll really open up the passing part of his game as well as he gets more comfortable with his jump shot. But it, it looks like from the mid-range um, that, you know, that's a really deadly player. And if he can extend that out to three-point range, like I think the sky's the limit for him. Yeah, he's uh, he's currently shooting 45% from mid-range. And and as you mentioned, hasn't, hasn't taken too many shots from three, just two of 10 in non-garbage time minutes from downtown. But, uh, yeah, I think the most impressive element to me on that pull-up is just how smooth the release is, you know. And we've even seen a little bit with, uh, you know, OG Ananobi, especially in in Siakam's absence, he's had to take on a a higher usage. And OG struggles to, you know, just kind of do that uh, hesitation dribble and pull up into the jumper. He often gets those blocked just because he's got a little bit of a slower release. But that has not been an issue at all for Barnes. And I think one of the sort of archetypes that you could look at for a, for a player of, of uh, Barnes's ilk, if he never develops that three-point shot, is a player like Jimmy Butler, who really okay. succeeded by being a good passer, getting to the rim, getting to the free-throw line, and having that mid-range jumper if teams really stop respecting him. And, you know, to already have this level of uh, offensive ability, I think, is a is a really great sign. And, you know, we haven't even really touched the defense, which I think wasn't really much of a concern. I think everyone expected him to be to be pretty solid on that end. And, and that's come to fruition even in that uh, in that Nets game on Sunday afternoon. He uh, he had a couple possessions in a row where he just uh, he, he stripped Kevin Durant one coming from the weak side and and uh, surprising him and knocking it away. And then another time where he came on, on, uh, on a help assignment and just ripped the ball out of KD's hands. Yeah. I think the, the defense, even though, you know, he was lauded as a guy who was you know, going to be a plus defenders, not a lot of rookies can come in and be a, a plus defender, right? Like you think over the last couple of years, like Matisse Tybal is really the only one that comes to mind. That was an impact defender right out, right out of the gate. Um, and, you know, I thought he would be a good, you know, lengthy health, health defender, but he, he's proven to be 
a, a solid one-on-one defender too. And he, he's had to guard at times, like some very good perimeter offense players. And he's, he's really held his own there. Um, a couple of times he's gone into foul trouble, but, but uh, I think that that's just like uh, going to be a part of his game that he's going to need to continue to improve on. Um, it's clear to me that this, this is a guy that's going to have all the NBA defense type of uh, upside. So, um, no, I think his length is really bothersome already. And then as he learns the schemes even more, I think he's going to become an even uh, better defensive anchor for the Raptors in the future. Yeah, he's um, he's been, I think, everything that uh, the Raptors fans could have hoped for and, and then some. And uh, it was really fun on uh, this past Friday night getting to see Scotty Barnes go up against Evan Mobley because those two guys, in, in my mind so far, have been the two most impressive rookies and the two guys, the two favorites for potentially rookie of the year through, you know, 10, 10 or so games. Yeah, no, I, I definitely uh, agree with that. Um, I would say, you know, and I can go all day on Scotty, so please cut me off at some point so we can talk about other <laughs> things. But, uh, you know, I think the part of his game that's really impressed me the most has been his patience. Um, we kind of mentioned the uh, OG um, at times. He, he has, he's looking to get into his moves. And this is a guy that's been kind of a five years in the league now, and he's a guy who um, has gotten a lot of reps. And even then, he can get sped up by, by good defenders or double teams. And a lot of times, it looks like... Uh, Scotty just kind of has that extra half second there where it's another beat. Um, and he just uh, you know, throws another pump fake and is able to get off like a, a decent looking shot. Um, and then, uh, like you said, he's able to, to, he knows his angle well and can get to the glass too. I think that that patience is really what surprised me a ton because not a lot of young players kind of have that patience to, to not put up the first shot and, and kind of uh, throw a few pumps and, and you know, take the angles that the defense is giving him. And I think that's really helped his field goal percentage on the inside. Yeah. He's, he's shooting 71% at the rim. Really, really respectable number there. And uh, you know, yeah, his, his processing speed is, is, is really good. You know, you see him catch the ball and uh, you know, if there's, if the defense collapses on him, he's, you know, it's, it's, it's out of his hands to the next guy to, to keep the ball moving. Uh, if, if he's, uh, if he's the screener in the pick and roll and he gets that pocket pass and he's got an opening for that little push shot, it's, it's up there, you know, it's just, you know, he's not hesitating at all. And that's what you really like to see. There's no, there's no lack of confidence there. He's, he's just making the right plays, taking what the defense gives him. And, uh, as you said, yeah, he, he seemingly has that patience, you know, seems like a guy that's been in the league for a few years at this point. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that, um, and like you said, like he he's looking to make that right play instantly. Um, and sometimes, you know, the, the the defense isn't playing him necessarily to to be a, a major offensive threat yet. So I think you know his assist numbers aren't even. I don't think they're that great. He might be averaging uh, under definitely under I think two assists a game. Um, but he showed a lot of flashes. He had a game where he had seven assists, and he had a few games in the in the. The, the preseason where he showed a, a really good passing touch. So I think as the defense is kind of hone in on him, you know, trying to deny him from scoring, you know, 40, 50, 60% around the mid range to towards the rim. Um, he's going to have, it's really going to unlock his passing game. And I think that's going to be the next, uh, next big step for, for him. Cause I, I think that's, it's clear, you know, watching him that that's a part of his game that he enjoys playing. So, um, I'm excited to kind of see that next step from him as well. Yeah, and, and I would argue that not only Scotty's, but the entire team's assist numbers will go up when they start playing with a center that can actually make shots around the best. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that will help your uh, assist numbers when, uh, when, when lobs are finished. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, Scotty has been, has been oh so impressive and just really fun to watch as well. And uh, it's... It's interesting too because you know when you were when you were going over who should who should be in the starting lineup or who should be kicked out of the starting lineup upon Siakam's return, you know the the name Scotty Barnes didn't even come up, you know, and that <laughs> that just goes to show you that he's he's already entrenched himself as one of his teams, uh, one of the team's best players. Exactly, exactly, and uh, I, you kind of mentioned that that was a, a big matchup. Um, last week when the Raptors played the Cavs, because that was, uh, like you said, the two early 
rookie of the year uh, candidates. Um, and no, I thought it was a, it was a great matchup. Um, I guess I you know, don't want to derail this any further, but I guess what was, what was your early impressions of, you know, Mobley, who I think has actually, you know, out, outplayed Barnes so far this season, um, you know, a little bit different players, uh, slightly different skill sets. Like how, how have you been thinking about, um, what you've seen from those two? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I talked about Mobley extensively on last week's episode with yep. Justin Matcham, where we did the the Cleveland Cavaliers, and uh, mm-hmm. I am I am uh, over the moon on my love of Evan Mobley. I think he's yeah. like a, I think he's an all defensive guy right now. Uh, yeah. He's he's that impressive. I think I saw a stat that he's like right up there, top two or three in terms of just a number of shot contests. Uh, teams are shooting some ridiculous percentage lower when he like from the short mid range. I think it's like they're shooting 14% worse from short mid range when he's out there. Uh, he's just having a colossal impact around the basket and, and he does so without fouling. And, and that's something I think Scotty Barnes has done a reasonable job of too, is, you know, again, being an impactful defender without fouling. That's something that is incredibly rare, especially for young players. Exactly. Yeah, I think that uh, that's kind of what these two players have shown is, um, you know, high upside on both sides of the ball. And I think that's you know, incredibly rare for rookies. So I'm excited to see the upside. You know, Evan Mobley has really shown me uh, flashes of a former Raptor, Chris, a young Chris Bosch. Um, but yeah. Chris Bosch's defense was not at this level <laughs> when he was in his early years as a Raptor. The defense has been spectacular immediately. Um, and, you know, he has a great shooting touch. And I thought that, you know, he bothered a lot of, like, uh, the Raptors offensive players all night long um, with his length and also his quickness and able to recover um, back and forth from the perimeter to the paint. Yeah, and, and that's something that Scotty Barnes, you know, he he was able to hit some of those pull-up jumpers over Mobley and looked good and comfortable with that. But then, you know, when he tried to attack him off the dribble, it, it wasn't uh, usually a good result right. for, for the Raptors. Exactly. Yeah. Um, let's talk about OG because he's another guy in Pascal's absence that's really had to step up. And right now he's mm-hmm. got a career high in, in usage rate at uh, 24% a career high, not, not that impressive of a number, but a career high in assist rate at 12.1%. And he's also doing a good job of taking care of the basketball, despite the larger role, turning it over on just 7.6% of his possessions. Uh, what, what have been your uh, thoughts on OG? You know, he had that, uh, the first couple of games were a real struggle, but since then yeah. he's, he's, he's started to look pretty good, pretty confident. Yeah, so I think this is kind of a weird thing to say, but I think this was really, and he's for a player who's like, you know, a five-year veteran, um, it might have been his first summer where he really had a full summer uh, where he was healthy and able to really work on his game. Um, he lost kind of a, a summer after the championship season, uh, after a, an emergency appendix surgery, you know, you know, really work out that season, and then the year after that, we, it was the bubble back to back with another season, and he kind of lost that off season as well. And and he's kind of had nagging injuries earlier in his career that uh, prevented him from having a, a an off season really where he got to work on his game. And I think with this one, you can really see the the improvement in you know the the mechanics of his jump shot being a lot smoother, um, his uh, handle becoming a lot tighter, and then just being more confident in being able to make plays off the dribble. Um, out of the post um, in scenarios where in the past, you know, he might have panicked and put up an off-balance shot. Um, he just seems to have a lot better balance, too. So I think those were kind of the things that I've seen. Um, early on, I felt like his first two games, he really wanted to show the things he was working on in the summer. And there was a couple possessions where he was, you know, taking it from the uh, beginning of the shot clock and dribbling it down halfway through uh, to show an arsenal of new dribble moves. And then not getting a, a great uh, shot off, but uh, he's really kind of found a better balance the last couple of games here, and, and you know had some really great scoring up and nice over efficient as well. So I think that um, that's kind of been my big takeaway from him is that he's really just improved his skill level across the board. Yeah, those first two games felt like when you're playing 2K and you're just trying to build up a guy's individual stats, and then you're right. like, oh, I'm just playing worse because I'm just trying to get one guy to score. Yeah. Uh, 
but that, that's a really good point. And yeah, like I'm sure he also was just kind of feeling a little bit of pressure realizing, oh, this team, I'm the number one option now. And the team is right. looking at me to, to produce. And um, yeah, since then he's, he's looked a lot better. His, his full season stats still don't look great because those two games still loom large over the, since he's only played 11 total, but uh, yeah. shooting 32% from the mid range and 56% at the rim, 36% from three, but again, if you if you scratch out those first two games since then, the last nine, he's 39 percent from the mid range, which still isn't great. But when you watch this team, it's pretty much all self-generated, really difficult mid range attempts. Um, he's shooting 40 percent from three and 58 percent at the rim. And yeah, he he looks to me a lot more confident when he's kind of in the post. He can use his body. He can use his strength. He can go from posting up to then a quick drive and kind of catch the defender off guard. That seems to be when he's at his best, whereas he's still, uh, because of that slow release, because he still doesn't have the greatest handle in the world, when he's just facing up, uh, it, it hasn't looked great. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, And I think some of those possessions will kind of, uh, you know, slowly go away or, or be um, as, as um, you know, another creator in Seattle enters the lineup. Um, or there'll be situations where he catches it, you know, off movement from the mid range and he can kind of get to his moves uh, a little bit quicker with the, the defense kind of adjusting to him rather than a, a pure isolation. Um, I think with some of the lineups early in the season, like a lot of times, uh, you know, in the half court, we've kind of mentioned the Raptors half court struggles. It's really been a reliance on an OG Anobi or, or a Fred Van Vliet to kind of just create their own offense, uh, oftentimes one-on-one. Um, and I think that, you know, the Raptors ideally want to get away from some of those possessions, which I think should uh, increase the field goal percentage on some of those attempts as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, defensively, I think he's been as good as, uh, as good as ever. I think a one-on-one, mm-hmm. he's still arguably the best, uh, the best guy in the league at just uh, defending a guy straight up. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this though, and, you know, he's not that he's been bad as a help defender, but he hasn't been like super active or is as active as you would expect in previous seasons. But I feel like that has been one area of major growth for him where he is uh, contesting more shots at the rim, getting out and, and bothering people on rotations and, and just making more team defensive plays. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that he's, you know, he hasn't had, um, you know, he does, actually, there's a couple of games where he's had a few flashy steals um, off uh, the help defense, but I think that he's um, really become a very much more solid defender. I think there's a few games early in the season where he got into early foul trouble and that, and that hurt the team. Um, and I think that he's being much more cognizant of that, um, picking his spots where to be aggressive um, and when to, you know, just be really solid in his defense. And, and like you said, I think that, you know, he, he's one of the best one-on-one perimeter defenders in the league still. And despite having a, a heavier offensive load, I don't think that he's uh, allowed it to, you know, take away from his defensive game. And, you know, that's something we've seen in a lot of the offensive stars in the league who, who started off as two-way players and then kind of focused more on the offensive end. Uh, he's a player who I think, uh, you know, the, has not let up at all on the defensive end while his offensive workload has increased. Yeah, and you can even, I mean, not not to suggest that he's this level of player, but, uh, you know, similar sort of mold as like a Kawhi Leonard where he started out, he was immediately just great defensively and then slowly but truly got better offensively. Kawhi had bigger leaps on the offensive end at yeah, an earlier yeah. age, but but still the, the comparison is notable there. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and the strength and, level and, and things like that, yeah, you definitely see it. Um, it. It just really comes down to like Kawhi's offensive game just, took some major jumps and I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, improving his jump shot in the mid range, but also just his, his handle tightened up incredibly. Right. And I think that that's something that OG will continue to work on. And, but, you know, don't think he'll ever reach those heights, but, you know, never say never, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the jumper is again, continuing to improve and given sort of his, uh, the way he's been scoring this season with a lot of fadeaways, one-legged step back type shots, from the post, uh, you know, I, I think 
just getting to a point where he's more in the mid forties to even close to 50% from the mid range. If he's going to turn into a really good, you know, even borderline, like number two option on a championship type offense, that's what he's going to have to get to is the jump shots going to have to get much more consistent. And again, I, I think most of his misses you see are just off the front of the rim or maybe off the back iron that, that like the touch is there. It's just, he's missing them by a fraction uh, either short or long. So, uh, you know, the signs are there. I, I picked him to be my, uh, my most improved player this year. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not shying away from that yet. I think he's made some, some major strides. I, 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 I mean, it's, I feel like the most improved player is always a bit of a crapshoot early in the season. Um, it's, you know, one of those awards that has kind of been all over the place. I think Michael Porter Jr. was the early on betting favorite and you know, he hasn't, really shown um, a huge leap at the beginning of this season, at least. Um, so we'll see if, if OG can kind of keep up some of the performance here, maybe tighten up his efficiency, like you said. Um, and what what I would be looking for as his next step is the ability to, you know, get to the line and really put pressure um, on the other team, uh, you know, at, at the rim to, you know, draw fouls and, and really uh, get get teams in some bind there. Because I think, you know, a lot of the, because that's kind of the next step for a lot of like the, strong, you know, first, second option type offensive players. I think getting to the line is really important. And, and uh, if you look at, you know, his free throw rate, it's still not that great. And a lot of that's, like you said, because he, he's been taking kind of those mid-range shots and not necessarily um, attacking the rim as much as I think he could with, with his strength level. Well, and yeah, like he's also, even when he is getting to the rim, it's mostly by just kind of bullying guys and it's kind of a slow labored process to get it up right. on the rim. And, so you'll see guys come over and, and block his shot from, from behind. Uh, so I think that's a, that's another thing that he, you know, he's a very, he's a very good athlete, but right. he's not the the smoothest athlete in terms of, you know, um, even like his, his Euro steps feel like very like, okay, he's taking the step <laughs> with the right that he's going over to the left and, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's all like a slow process. I would almost describe it in the same way I describe sort of Tristan Thompson, where like, he's, he's a very good athlete, but like around the basket, he has to kind of, um, you know, he has to bend his knees and really, you know, <laughs> prep himself to get up to the rim. It feels like at times OG could, could use some training of just like speeding up his finishing and, yeah. and some of his moves around the rim. Yeah. And I used to say early. Uh, in his career, he looked kind of like a, you know, like a like a baby deer there because he would just be, you know, so uh, uncoordinated in his rim. And at times when he looks like he has great opportunity, he would just kind of lose balance on, on that last step and and not be able to finish because he he's he's falling to the floor. Um, and you know, he, he's gotten a lot better at that, but there's still flashes of that sometimes. I just feel like he really you know works on his balance and, and some of his footwork near the rim. That that's uh, that'll be really important for him to, to become a better finisher at the room. Yeah. They've, they've played a couple of games. Obviously they played most of the season without Siakam. They played a couple of games in the sort of the, the middle of this 11 game run without, uh, without Scotty Barnes as well. And in those couple of games, we saw OG and, and, and Van Fleet and uh, also Gary Trent jr. Really, really step up at times. Uh, Trent Jr. against the Knicks put up 26, and uh, he also had a big play in that uh, that game against Orlando. Toronto was up 110 to 98 with less than two minutes to go. Orlando goes on an 11-0 run to cut it to 110 to 109, and uh, Orlando actually had possession with a chance to win the game. They get it into to uh, Cole Anthony and Gary Trent Jr. like he's been doing all season long just pestering guards, got his hand on the ball, poked it away, forced basically a, a half-court heave at the buzzer, which missed. But uh, Trent Jr. has really been given this uh, defensive role that he didn't really even have in Portland, where because Portland plays that small backcourt of Lillard and McCollum, they largely had Trent guarding even threes or sometimes fours for that team. But because Toronto with OG, with Siakam, with Barnes, they've got so much size at the wing positions, they can allow Trent Jr. to guard down and defend guards. And that seemingly is his strength on the defensive end. Yeah, yeah, I would say that, you know, him, 
you know, having these strong wing defenders around him who can rotate and switch has really allowed him to, you know, he's still able to stay solid with his man, but I think a lot of where his value has been um, is kind of playing this free safety role where he's, you know, running around, uh, making deflections, playing passing lanes, and really just being a pest out there, um, like sneaking up on guards on the weak side, um, getting tips like that. I think him and Van Vliet are are either one and two in whichever order, uh, leading the league in deflections. Um, so, so that's obviously been a big emphasis on, on the defensive system this year. I would say uh, Ken Birch had a quote the other night that sums it up best. He said, I've never seen a player who, no offense, has uh, never played defense before, plays such great defense <laughs> as Gary Trent Jr. So uh, I think that kind of sums up a lot of people's thoughts about uh, how, how his defensive impact has been uh, to start the season. Yeah, you mentioned the that uh, GTJ and uh, and Fred Van Fleet, you know, being near near the lead lead in in deflections, and the the, the Toronto Raptors team at, uh, actually number one in the NBA in deflections, and yeah, they're just so good at it. And I would say even at times, you know, Trent Jr. has kind of been like what Avery Bradley was in his prime, where he's just really getting into guys. There was a couple of plays right at the end of that Cavs game where the Cavs were down on that last possession. They gave the ball to Sexton a few times and, and Trent Jr. just knocked the ball away on several occasions and nearly, nearly ruined that last possession. But then uh, after, uh, after a jump ball, the Cavs got it back. Garland got fouled and hit the couple of free throws that ended up being what won it for Cleveland. But uh, yeah, he's he's been he's been great as that ball hawk on the offensive end. I feel like he's been pretty much exactly what he was in Portland, where he's not getting to the rim, he's not getting to the free throw line. Uh, he's uh, his three point shot has not fallen as much as you would want. He's at thirty three percent right now, um, but the shot looks good. He's still definitely got a ton of gravity. Teams are respecting him out there. And then I would argue, you know, despite the fact that his sort of all of his step back long twos are not the most efficient offense in the world, I would argue that this team desperately, especially without Siakam, desperately needed that source of offense. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, one of those shots you kind of wince at when you see him putting it up and then he knocks it down. So you just say, all right, (laughs) we'll take it. But uh, it's one of those things where I think – like you said, he can get a little bit tunnel vision on offense and, and you know, miss uh, an easy swing pass when uh, in some opportunities when he's looking to get up his own shot. But you kind of take it with, you know, how hard he's playing on defense. You you uh, you take kind of that shot selection, especially when he's making tough shots like that, you're, you're going to be fine with it. Um, once, uh, you know, if, if that starts reverting to the mean and starts missing some of those mid-range jump shots, then you might uh, – need to talk about the have a conversation with them about shot selection again. But right now, um, I think the key has just been, you know, with how hard he's playing on defense, you kind of allow a player like that get a few shots up that, uh, you know, maybe uh, ill-advised in most scenarios. Yeah, he's hitting 45% on mid-rangers, 33 of 73. And the, the biggest one that, you know, a lot of them I'm fine with the, the ones that really annoy me are the ones where he'll run a pick and roll and he'll get the defender on his back, like completely behind him. And at that point, it's like, okay, you've got essentially a two on one with the, with the roll man. And instead of attacking that big and forcing him to either commit and which would open up the lob, or if he stays, you've got a layup. He, then just turns it into a sidestep jumper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those are those are very frustrating. Although, as you said, he still occasionally just knocks it down. So you're like, well, I guess it worked. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I think that for him, like I think that would be the next step, especially when there's with Siakam in the lineup and like more offensive weapons there. Um, you know, just learn to swing it and, and you know wait for it to come back. I think um I know I'm the numbers in front of me. I think his catch and shoot three point percentage is much better than some of his uh you know, self-created uh, step step back shots, but um, I think that you know a few more easier locks on on the catch and shoot for three would, would really do wonders for his percentages. Yeah, and uh, speaking of the other guy that you mentioned, that's getting a lot of deflections, Fred Van Fleet. I mean, I don't I don't know about you, and I, I don't have any statistic to back this up, but it feels like Fred Van Fleet is the best player in the NBA when he attempts a strip. 
Like it feels like every time he attempts to strip a guy down low, he's successful. He rarely fouls. He's almost always getting all ball. Uh, is, is that something you notice as well? Yeah. And, and he just seems like uh, he gains a ton of strength all of a sudden, right? <laughs> he, he comes down like uh, and for the strip and it's like his hands must feel extremely heavy from the ball happening because a lot of times it looks like, like this, like this weight of gravity is just slapping the ball down. Um, and all of a sudden, like Fred's like on, on a fast break. He, I, I don't know exactly what it is. If it's a timing thing, if it's a strength thing, but uh, no, he, he's phenomenal. And like you said, very rarely gets called for a foul. And 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 similar to similar to Trent Jr., I think his offensive game is pretty similar to what he's been in the past. He's still having massive struggles finishing around the basket. He's at just 50% at the rim and uh, just 39% from short mid-range, although he rarely is taking those. Um, but he, he makes up for it with his outside shot because he's, he's right now, he's shooting 59% from long mid-range. He's at 20 of 34. Right. And then he's also hitting 36% from three on a lot of off-the-dribble attempts. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh it's been sorely needed. Like, like a lot of these opportunities are off broken plays or, or, you know, in, in the half court when the Raptors really can't get anything going. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, like, like you said, shot making has been incredible. Um, and, and a lot of it has been timely shots as well. So I, I would add that to, to the, on top of the percentages. Uh, I think that there a lot of them have come at times when the Raptors have really needed a bucket. Absolutely. And he's also allowed them, even despite the loss of Kyle Lowry, he's maintained their pace. They're fifth in the NBA in transition frequency, uh, even though once they get into the half court, I think they're one of the slowest paced teams of the league because they really take their time. Um, but uh, as far as, you know, off of steals, off of live rebounds, he's constantly pushing it. And again, I'm, I'm assuming, that, assuming that's something he learned from Lowry. Apparently, I, I heard on one of the broadcasts that uh, he's still communicates with uh, with Lowry on a daily basis just to uh you know get some of that sage wisdom from the uh, the Raptors legend yeah yeah no it's uh it's definitely a big brother little brother type relationship while they were on the team um so I'm not surprised at all that they have kept in communication there and I think uh you know Fred has really just been passed the torch as that 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 next you know pesty uh point guard who uh, plays bigger than his size because <laughs> that was kind of what Lowry has been his entire career and then Fred's proving that he can really play that role as well and he, he's been a, a really tough uh, defensive lead guard and he's making big shots on the other end uh, pushing pace and running the offense so um, you know he, he's been he's been great so far uh, I've always uh, I would say the one big difference is uh, Lowry in his prime with you know a little bit better at getting to the line, finishing near the rim, and and you know Van Vliet, you know he's still there's still times he gets in there and then uh, he gets forced into a tough shot or or puts up a shot at an angle where uh, it ends up being a, a block from from uh, the weak side. But um, you know he I think overall he's been solid this season, if not spectacular. Yeah, he. Um... It seems like at the rim, he, you know, he's, he's obviously a, a small player, as you mentioned, and he's, he's concerned about getting his shot blocked. So it seems at times he's almost overcompensating and like jumping sideways into the guy to try to finish. And then it's just completely off the mark, misses the rim completely. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I've said this in previous episodes we've done on the Raptors in, in years past, but there, there's something too, I think, you know, the, the Raptors are, they don't have like this team of just great offensive rebounders, but yet they've been a pretty, a really good offensive rebounding team this year. And I think a lot of that stems from Van Fleet constantly putting pressure. And despite right. not effectively finishing himself, he opens up a lot of opportunities for putbacks. Now, um, I wanted to talk a little bit, you, you brought up Goran Dragic, who, you know, coming over in that, uh, in that Lowry sign and trade, which, you know, if you want to talk about just production like I liked the Lowry sign and trade but if you want to talk about actual right. on-court production that the Raptors have gotten from that deal hasn't been good no. uh, <laughs> from with, with the likes of Achua and, and Dragic not not great uh, Dragic started to begin the year and uh, you know I think Nurse looked at him and said well this guy's going to prop up our offense even though he might drag our defense down a bit and 
he really wasn't able to to prop up the offense at least in the limited time that he got with the with the starters and yeah. so therefore I think Nurse just said well we're gonna we're gonna keep up our identity and and just put out better defensive players and and there's been a few guys that I think are worth are worth talking about here that have stepped yeah. in and, and filled in for some of his minutes one being Sveed Mikhailuk who according to Clean Glass, shooting 38% from three and has looked pretty strong defensively. Uh, they've they've gotten some really good minutes out of second-round pick. Uh, am I pronouncing this right? Delano Banton? Yep, that's right. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that's 6'7", that's kind of been like a, a backup point guard at times. And then, yeah. you know, they haven't played much of Malachi Flynn, but even the minutes I've seen from him have looked solid. He uh, – he had a, a a decent performance in the game against uh, against Cleveland, where he he played towards the end of the second quarter, had a couple of steals, had an off the dribble three. So you know, people will look at this roster and say, "Well, how is how is Dragic not starting?" But it's like you know, he's just uh, you know he's been outplayed by better guys. The Raptors have better depth than I think most people expected coming in. Correct, correct, and it's not even just that he lost the starting place. Like he is not getting minutes period anymore. Um, he's been, uh, I think he's been a, B, a, a DNP for uh, the past. So he started the first game, came off the bench for the next three and, and hasn't played a game since, which is pretty crazy to think about when, with uh, the guy who's like, you know, probably has the most experience under his belt uh, in this lineup. So um, you know, I think that has been a surprise. I'm not sure if there's something more to that, whether, you know, it'd be a potential deal on the table um, in the future and keeping him healthy for that, or maybe there's something going on behind the scenes. I'm not entirely privy, but I think uh, it might be, you know, what you what you mentioned, it might just be that he's been flat out being outplayed by players uh, like Asfi Mihailuk, like uh, Delano Banton, uh, or even a Malachi Flynn who... Um, fit a little bit better with the identity that the Raptors are trying to build. So, um, you know, I think that has been uh, a big reason um, behind it. But, but like you said, like all, all those players you mentioned have been, um, you know, uh, played within the style in terms of the defensive style um, that the Raptors uh, are, have been looking for. And I think that, uh, you know, both uh, Svi and Delano have been huge surprises in terms of, you know, how quickly They've been able to, you know, uh, mesh in with either units with the starters or just off bench units um, in terms of both their defense as well as uh, their ability to move the ball on the offensive side. So I think that that has been a a great spot off the bench for the Raptors. Yes, Fee, I think, has been somebody that has been, uh, you know, has has been underplayed at just about all of his stops and everywhere he's been, whether that's Los Angeles, Detroit, I think a few other places, the fans have always said, have always seemed to love the guy when he actually yeah. steps on the floor. And, right. uh, you know, you watch him play and you're like, okay, you know, I, I watched a little clip of him even in practice and you see the form and he, I saw a video where he hit like 11 straight threes, just all yeah. swishes. It's like, this guy has perfect form. It looks like every shot he takes is going in from downtown. Um, and then he, you know, is a, a pretty darn good defender. You know, he doesn't have the greatest size in the world, but he's got okay size for a two and he, uh, you know, moves his feet. He plays hard and, uh, you know, is, is able to be a, a, a cog in this, uh, Raptors defensive machine. And yeah, you wonder like, wow, is, is nurse just the first guy to the first coach to actually recognize the skill set that this guy has, but you think like, why isn't this guy an Alex Caruso type where he's getting right. a four year, $40 million contract or something of the like. Right. Right. And you know, how did, how did the Raptors get him on, on essentially a minimum deal um, when he's a six, seven, six, eight, you know, two guard who, you know, is, is a, a, an amazing shooter by the looks of it. And actually, uh, you know, quite a good athlete, too. There's a few times where he's gone steals and had some highlight dunks uh, on the break, kind of one-on-one against the defenders. So, um, you know, I, I think that he's he looks like an amazing get. And uh, unfortunately, he looks like he's playing himself into a, a contract the Raptors might not afford in the future. Um, but no, he, he's, you know, he's definitely deserved a big payday if he can keep this up all the year. Well, yeah, and, uh, you know, you mentioned he's six seven. The reason I think 
I said he was kind of average size is because yeah. his wingspan is actually shorter than his height. Right. He's one of the rare six five wingspan, right. um, which again is is okay for a shooting guard, but a little bit small if you want him guarding threes or fours, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he's been good. Delano Banton has been a huge surprise. I didn't really, you know, again, I uh, I did some studying on the draft, but I didn't study for prospects, you know, that were going to be taken wow. deep in the second round. And he has been he has been really fantastic. You know, he, he doesn't have much of a jumper, but uh, similar to Barnes, he just uh, seemingly impacts the game in a lot of ways, making nice passes, making timely cuts getting the occasional offensive rebound and, you know, again, playing hard, solid defense and and with the size where the Raptors again can utilize that switching and that frantic defensive style that they like. Yeah. You know, it's, it's pretty crazy to say, cause uh, I don't know if he was on a lot of draft boards uh, <laughs> or even on a lot of uh, big boards with a hundred players um, coming out of uh, Nevada. And, uh, you know, he's a local kid. He's from uh, the Toronto area. Um, and, you know, I think when he was drafted, a lot of people joked that this, you know, like he was drafted to be a kind of ambassador and tour guide for, <laughs> for uh, number one pick, Scotty Barnes. And, you know, he's coming and he's been much more than that. So, um, no, he's been, uh, he, he's, he's really actually, you know, been awesome uh, coming off the bench, uh, being uh, a guy that, you know, the Raptors can throw out there and play him at the point guard in a lineup that has no player under the height of 6'7". Yeah, <laughs> which is uh, which is uh, pretty rare and amazing, and then uh, you know plays with a lot of pace, puts pressure on the rim, and and has actually uh, shown a, a nice little passing touch as well. So you know it's going to sound crazy because this is a very accomplished player, but early on he reminds me of a of a Sean Livingston type player. He's shown a little bit of touch in kind of like the, the mid post, low post, really. Um, not much of a of a jump shot, um, but ability to kind of get to the rim and. And uh, and push the pace and run and run an offense. So um, no, he's uh, he's definitely been uh, a pleasant surprise for the Raptors uh, to to find another contributor out out of the second round. Yeah, Sean Livingston is actually I hadn't I'm I'm kind of mad I didn't think about that, but that's a great comparison. He had a he had a move against the in the Knicks game where he he drove right, got into the paint, reverse pivoted, and hit about a ten foot fadeaway. Um, he had a play in the Wizards game that I was uh, really impressed by where he was dribbling up top and the Raptors were, I think, running Van Fleet off of a pin down on the right side. And he noticed his uh, his man sort of paying attention to to that action off the ball. And so he just did a quick like in and out move and drove right right to the rim and got a layup. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just those little moves where you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's uh, this guy's pretty crafty. And it also goes to show you, you know, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these concerns over the inability to shoot. I mean, it's, it's, you obviously want all of your players or as many players as possible to be able to shoot the basketball to succeed. But at the same time, you know, I think the biggest issue with non-shooters is when they can't handle it themselves, but guys like Scotty Barnes and Delato Banton both can handle the basketball and make plays. Exactly, exactly. If you can surround them with just enough shooting that it, the court doesn't shrink too much, um, they can make a, they can make plays happen. And I think, like, like we kind of touched on a bunch of times, you know, when you're playing these defensive lineups that are, you know, just kind of built to, to get stops and get on the run, um, that's where a lot of the skill sets of, of some of these players who, you know, have had some struggles in the half court because of their shooting uh, to really shine. And I think Banton is another player who's been, you know, phenomenal pushing the pushing the ball off rebounds, um, getting the Raptors into into quick transition sets, um, and you know, like, like you said, making some crafty moves uh, to get himself and his teammates open in, in those situations. So, um, you know, I, I I thought that he would be a player that would you know need some time seasoning in the G League, but I think he's really made a case for himself to to not only stay with the the main club but also to to have a, uh, a solid uh, rotation role. So I think that that has been, it's always a pleasant surprise to see a second round pick kind of play hard and, and seize a role like that for himself. Yeah. And uh, I always, uh, I always go back to like, anytime someone questions uh, Masai Ujiri as a, as a GM or whatever his title is now, like, 
Look at the draft record. It's uh, it's, it's pretty darn impressive, and it looked like it looks like he's nailed it out of the park with his two selections in, in this draft as well. Um, some other uh, some other recent team news. I don't know if, if you'll have much to say about this, but uh, in the offseason, they they signed Sam Decker kind of as a as a potential wing for this team, but then uh, just a few days ago, they ended up waiving him prior to his guarantee date to to get under the luxury tax. And it looked like it was sort of a, a battle with him and Isaac Bonga to determine who was going to get that, I don't know what, fifth or sixth wing role on the roster. And looks like Sam Decker lost out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like they said, not, not fun to say they're, they're both players who, um, you know, didn't, weren't going to be rotation players uh, right now. Um, by all accounts, they seem like they were getting along with the team and were good locker room guys. And, you know, that's kind of how they made, you know, the roster in, in the first place. But, um, uh, you know, in, in a year where I think the delta between um, being a tax team and a non-tax team, I think the payment was around $15 million. That, that presented significant savings. And, you know, it gives the Raptors a little bit more flexibility in a year where they're not necessarily, you know, aiming to contend. Um, and it's not a piece that would push them over the top. So I, I think that was what kind of fed into it. And then, as it comes down to uh, Bongo versus um, uh, versus Decker, I think they just kept the younger player with with uh, a little bit more upside, and I think that was was really what what drove the decision at the end of the day uh, between those two players. Yeah, and uh, you know, being under the luxury tax, yeah, as you said, when you're not necessarily competing at the highest of levels, is just the is just the prudent move, especially when you factor in that there are. Um, repeater tax penalties down the line that you would have to avoid as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, we'll, uh, we'll finish with this, Stephen. You know, I, I didn't really get to talk to you before the year to get a sense of your sort of expectations for this team. I was kind of uh, in, under the impression that this was going to be around a 500 basketball team coming into the year. And I'm still right around there. I think that maybe now that they've got Siakam back and the, with how good Scotty Barnes looks, I might see them as slightly above that. Uh, but uh, yeah, what are your, what were your expectations coming in and has the first 11 games changed those expectations at all? No, I, I think we're around the same ballpark. I, I think that uh, they're going to be a 500 team. Like I, I had them kind of in that upper um upper play in seeding, so call it, we'll call it the seventh, eighth seed, or, or even fighting for um, a playoff guarantee seed, which I really find better names for these spots now. <laughs> they have the play tournament, but I, I thought there would be anywhere from kind of that, you know, five, six, seven, eight, like bottom half of the, the top eight, um, with probably uh, with a higher likelihood of being one of the playing teams with just kind of um, how talented uh, that middle of the East is now. Um, so yeah, that's where I kind of had them. Um, with, you know, um, I thought that, you know, there's a chance that they would have been a little bit below that if they started a little bit slower um, because I would have Siakam out, you know, a lot longer. You know, I thought there's a chance that if they uh, started um, the season, you know, first you know, 20 games without Siakam and if the team went, you know, seven and 13 or eight and 12, that, that could potentially make it a bit of an uphill battle for them. But, uh, you know, luckily they came back when, and they're playing kind of 500 ball or a little bit above 500 ball without them. And I think that they continue to kind of stay at, um, you know, a slightly above 500 pace um, for the rest of the season. So I, I can see them kind of finishing in that, you know, 42 to 45 win range, but, um, you know, it's always hard to, to peg an exact win number. I, I thought the 36 was way too low. Um, yeah. And if you had me on at that time, I would have said like that was, uh, that looked like a pretty easy bet that uh, Vegas was uh, sitting out there. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I took the over with that, uh, with that number. And yeah, the only, the only way I thought it would have uh, it would have been uh, that you know they where they would have gone under that would have been a situation where as you said they uh, you know Siakam missed twenty plus yeah. games they started really poorly and similar to last year they just at some point decide it's not worth chasing the eighth seed uh, right. to just get blown out in the first round sort of thing, yeah. Um, yeah. but 
Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, is as much as I'm maybe a little more optimistic about the Raptors as I than I was going into the season, I'm also a little more optimistic about the Eastern Conference in general at this point. Yeah, yeah. I think this is uh, this looks like it's shaping up to be one of the most competitive years in the East that, that I can remember. Uh, with the talent kind of like, you just kind of go down the line. I could say that you can make a, an argument for probably 11 teams in the East, if not 12, to make it the, to the uh, playoff contenders, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you, look at, uh, you look at the eight teams that are in there now and, and three teams that are, that are currently out that would shock me if they were still out come, come April right. are Milwaukee, Boston, and Atlanta. You know, you look at right. this, it's like those, those are loaded with talent, but, uh, you know, the, the, the Raptors play Boston here on, on Wednesday night. And just recently the, the Celtics got news that Jalen Brown might, uh, might miss a, a few weeks. So, yeah. um, you know, yeah, there's, there's probably always a team or two where you think, Oh, they're basically guaranteed to get in, but then injuries strike and, and it ends up being kind of a disaster of a year, similar to, similar to what, what it was for Toronto last season. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was a tough season. Um, especially, you know, coming off what was a really strong season and even playoff showing against um, in, in the bubble and then obviously a championship season before that. But, you know, it's coming back um, into the season with Scotty Barnes uh, playing the way he is, not, not a bad prize for, uh, for, for a one-top season. So Exactly. All right, Stephen. Well, uh, I've, I've had you on long enough. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for, for coming on and taking the time. Awesome. Thanks for having me and uh, happy to come anytime. Thanks for listening to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. Corbin Ford and Gary Bouguet here with you. And uh, just wanted to, to quickly say before we wrap up, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review Duncan Dynasty. We're on, uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, wherever you get your, uh, your podcast. That is uh, much appreciated. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. Corbin, why don't you tell the people what you got going on? Oh, man, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. Uh, definitely make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. I mean, following me is just an afterthought here. But if you want some more NBA content from yours truly, uh, check out Round Ball Ramble. Um, it is my podcast. You can also find uh, the description uh, on my Twitter handle. On my Once you click on my Twitter handle, uh, definitely check that out. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of other um, assorted pods. I love talking hoops just like my friend Garrett does. So you know where to find me there. That's the main part to catch my work. Yeah, can't recommend Round Ball Ramble enough. Corbin does goes, does great stuff there, and I've appeared on it numerous times and uh, <laughs> hopefully will be uh, continuing to appear on it in the future. Again, we appreciate you all for listening and, of course, enjoy the next week in the NBA calendar.